Our scripture lesson for today continues from the book of James. We're still in the fourth chapter, beginning at verse 11. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment of it. There is only one lawgiver, one judge, and one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? The word of God for the people of God. Praise be to God. So I'll admit that my excitement for this whole series is a little tempered by the fact that this segment of James brings us to probably the hardest and most important topic of our modern church, the concept of judgment. I'm sure we've all heard the old refrain that our churches are too judgmental, often spoken by people who haven't checked out our church. It puts us on the defensive. It either paints our church as the exception to the rule or as deciding that they've had one experience and then they gave it all to all the churches. What we rarely do something that happens far too rarely in our society, is to stop and to try and understand what they're saying, why they feel that way, and perhaps what they mean by when someone is being too judgmental. While it's not clear from the sermon here what events may have precipitated these verses, it would seem that the first century church could have had the same accusations thrown against them as the modern church. And James intended to meet them directly. These verses can be a little bit dense. It's mostly because James is setting out the essential theological, uh, theological, logical argument. I'm going to say that again because I know it's a weird phrase. It is the logical argument of the theology that we are dealing with. So we're going to take these line by line because he does kind of put a lot into a couple of verses. He starts with, do not speak evil against one another, brothers and sisters. Whoever speaks evil against another or judges another speaks evil against the law and judges the law. A couple linguistic points to start off with. The word for law here is used not to refer to like civil laws, like speed limits or stuff like that, but the laws of God. Um, you may remember that Jesus said the law and the prophets hang on love. That's a fancy way of saying the Bible. Um, The Old Testament Bible was broken up into largely two segments, the law and the prophets. And so when he's referring to the law here, he's referring to the law of scripture, the section of scripture that says the do's and do nots. And so the judges that they're referring to here are not civil judges, But clergy people, people set apart by Jewish society to uphold and interpret God's laws. Knowing that, it's important that we understand what James is saying here. Because this is where he builds everything off of. He is specifically saying that Christians who speak evil of one another, so Christians who say unfair things, things that aren't nice, things that aren't true about one another, or Christians who judge one another, Christians who look at someone's life circumstances and reach a conclusion that is not theirs to make. 
people who do either of these things are guilty not only of disrespecting the actual judges, the clergy people, the people who make it their life to interpret God's law, but it's also disrespectful of God, God's self. It's disrespectful to the law that God gave. Why? Well, the answer to James is, sim James is simple. Even back then, when the law could be understood in its original language, the law was complex. It was advanced. And the stakes were simply too high for everyday Christians to be armchair judges. If you, but, if, but if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. Essentially, James is here saying that if you are judging the law, you are not following it. More than that, judging the law is putting yourself on equal footing with God. Which brings us to the final verse, which is where James drives it home. There is one lawgiver who is able to judge and to save and destroy. So who then are you to judge another? This ultimately leads to the million dollar question. What specifically does the Bible mean by judge? No doubt the words judge and judgment, they're really loaded in our culture. They scream of unfair or discriminatory treatment, and it's natural to say that what we're doing isn't judgment. But the Greek word here is a whole lot simpler, and it actually makes that argument a whole lot harder to make. See, the word that is translated as judge here is also used as the words separate, sift, or part. The word indicates the simple action of taking more than one thing and separating them into types, making a moral judgment, deciding that one thing is separate, different than one another. The same word that is used for judgment could be used for taking a bowl of beans and separating red beans and black beans. Not because one is better or one is worse, but because they're slightly different. It is the same word. So to be clear, in no way does the language here imply anything about the correctness or fairness of the judgment. That's beyond the point. Because what James is saying here is even the act of deciding that things are different, that people are different, that people should be in different groups, is beyond the role of what we are supposed to do as Christians. So what does that mean for us? Firstly, I'll just be blunt. It means you keep your nose out of other people's business. It means we don't have the right to decide if what someone else is doing is sinning or needs to be corrected or that they need to be given, you know, a, uh, a, a different way of looking at things. Looking at someone else's sin does not make us more righteous. The only thing that does that is being doers of the law and living personally in light of what Scripture teaches. A lot of times we'll talk about this concept of accountability. And especially when things come up like this, keeping your nose out of other people's business, not deciding if they're sinning. One of the things that always comes up is when Paul talks about correcting one another in love. But we're talking about two very different things here. Because 
what James is talking about are people who are only somewhat connected to one another. See, there's a big difference. If I were to come down and walk up to you, not as a clergy person, just as another person here in the church, and say, you're sinning and you need to change this part of your life. And if someone that you trust and love and someone who you have this relationship with says, listen, I'm worried about your decisions here. Very, very different situation. See, instead of separating people, John Wesley learned a long time ago that a Christian community is both more effective and more unified when we stand in solidarity with one another, when we understand that we are all sinners trying to individually work out our own relationships with the Lord. This led to something he called the band meeting. A band meeting was kind of a small accountability group. Um, not calling one another out for sins that they think the other person needs to work on, but supporting one another through the process of listening to God and being honest with ourselves about where God lists our failings as being. The job of the band is not to tell someone else that they're sinning, but to make them feel loved and comfortable enough that they can admit themselves where they need to work. Accountability doesn't mean making somebody do or believe anything. It's simply the act of supporting and loving another person in your community. And this, I think, is the difference that too many of our churches have lost along the way. Somewhere along the way, we forget that accountability is all about community, praying for one another, supporting one another, being a positive impact on one another's walk with the Lord. See, if people felt loved and supported, like the people around them loved them exactly as they were, but also wanted to see their relationship with God grow and deepen, nobody would ever want to leave the church. If they knew that accountability was aimed at helping you become the person God wants you to be and not something to fit a mold imposed upon you by the church, by the outside world, by, by a certain group, accountability would be a desirable thing. See, I have a friend who's part of a band meeting, just an old-fashioned, worked the same way that John Wesley worked band meeting. And he told me about it, and he said, you know, when it first started, I, they would ask the questions. One of them is, how is it with your soul today? A question I ask you every week. Questions like, where have you sinned this week? Where have you avoided sinning this week? The very last question is always, and is there anything you're keeping secret from this group? And he's like, for the first number of weeks, my response was, yes, there is. And that was the end of that response, because that's an appropriate response to that question. Because the job of the band is to create a community. And at a certain point, there were no more secrets, and he started revealing parts of himself because he trusted the people around him. He knew that they weren't trying to point out things about him. They weren't attacking him. They were there to support him as he did the internal work involved in all of this. He said, nowadays, when it cuts to that second, to that, that question at the end of the meeting, is there anything you're keeping secret from this group? 
He'll just say, no, you guys know everything. Accountability, when we do it in love and community, is a desirable thing. The difference between accountability and judgment is whether you're enforcing it on someone. Accountability has to be a mutual decision. See, the thing is, I know what kind of church we envision ourselves as being. It's the kind of church that, I, that we want to be. Somehow, the message got lost, the practice got diluted. So my question for you all is really simple. How can we grow into a community that embodies love so wholeheartedly, so unconditionally, that nobody could ever accuse us of being judgmental? What does that look like for our hospitality ministry? What does that look like for feeding and outreach? What does that look like for small groups, Bible studies, or even our leadership? Ultimately, however, the question begins with each of us individually. Our own heart, whether it's to bring people together as sinners, each working individually on our walk with God, or whether it is a heart for separation to separate the righteous from the unrighteous, as if any of us have room to consider ourselves in that camp of righteousness. Our own commitment to either love like Jesus or judge like the Pharisees. So how is it with your soul today? But more importantly, where is it you want it to be? Where is it you want your soul to be? Where do you want to grow? Do you want to be that voice of accountability in love that says, hey, I'm not here to tell you you're doing right or wrong. I'm here to tell you that we're all sinners working it out and I love you and I'm here and I'm going to support you in whatever you're working on. This is the kind of church that the world needs. It's the kind of church that people are looking for. When they say that we're too judgmental, what that means is stop telling me what to do and start loving me. Let's pray. God, we thank you for hard messages. We thank you for showing us the areas where your message got lost along the way. Help us to embody your love and your grace in this world. Help us to embody your discipleship style in this world. We thank you. Help us to grow. In your name we pray. Amen.